Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 17 years of law enforcement analysis experience, spending time in both Ohio and Tennessee. She is currently the VP of membership for the Tennessee Association of Law Enforcement Analysts, Talia. She is an administrative assistant turned analyst. Please welcome the multi-award winning analyst, Lindsay Witter. Lindsay, how are we doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing well. I, I am going to go on a complete tangent in the beginning, just because my, my mind can be kind of erratic sometimes. But <laughs> I, Lindsay, I see, I see your name's Lindsay, obviously, and see how it's spelled. When I was in high school, I met this girl named Lindsay. And we weren't, we were from like from states away. I think she was from Michigan. We exchanged addresses, but she didn't write down how to spell her name. So I wrote her and totally butchered her name because this would have been Uh mid nineties. And like, I don't know, I didn't have any idea how to even look up back then how to look up Lindsay. And so I think the way I spelled it was... L-I-N-D-C-E-E. I mean, I guess you could spell, you know, or sound it out and, and get that, right? Yeah, and that's basically <laughs> what I did. Uh, spoiler alert, she never wrote me back. I can only imagine why. <laughs> but anyway, so that has nothing to do with this conversation. But I thought, hey, I, that's what I'm thinking about as I introduce you. So that's funny. let's talk about you now. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? So it's a little interesting. I actually started off as an admin assistant in probation back in Ohio. I mean, I always like had a respect for the profession, but never really had an opportunity to dive into it. And once I started doing some of these uh, like judgment entries and things like that and interacting with uh, probationers, I was like, wow, I think I found my calling. Um, initially, I thought I was going to be a, in, in the medical field. And then when I fell into this job at probation, I was like, this is me. Like, this is what drives me. And then I just, I kind of just moved up in the ranks, you know, having a good work ethic, got me other jobs. You know, my husband and I, we moved from, you know, the Cleveland area down to the Columbus area of Ohio. And I took on another job there. I worked for a prosecutor's and there I had the opportunity to start really showing my analytical expertise that I didn't even know I had. I was helping out with a large marijuana case. Uh, It was a cultivation case. And I kind of shocked myself, really surprised myself on some of the information that I was finding online. And that opened a whole new door for me with the Delaware County Drug Task Force. I had been approached by their sergeant at the time and said, Hey, listen, you know, we're looking at expanding and we'd like to bring on an analyst and we see some great qualities in you, you know, would you be interested? And I jumped at the opportunity (laughs) and it was, it was honestly the best thing I ever did for my career. It, It really like fits me to a T. So that's really how I, I discovered 
the profession. It was literally, you know, my work ethic and, and then somebody giving me a shot. They saw that I had a little bit, you know, a, an ability there that I wasn't even aware that I, I quite had. And so it's, it's literally somebody, you know, taking a chance on me. And thankfully, I'm, I'm glad that they did. So that, that's how I discovered it. Excellent. A couple of follow-up questions then. So, so how did you get even get into the probation field? So my mother-in-law at the time worked for the administrative judge of Lorain County and informed me of a position that was going to become available. At the time, I was actually working for an eye doctor. And I was like, man, do I, do I want to do this? It sounds like it would be fun. And the eye doctor was trying to talk me out of not leaving her. And I actually had a patient come into the doctor's office who used to be a judge. And he was trying to talk me out of it as well, was telling me how much I was going to dislike it. You you are absolutely going to regret it. You need to just stay right where you're at. And there was just something just deep down in my gut that said, Lindsay, this is for you. And, and I'm so thankful that I jumped at the opportunity. But it, it honestly is you know, knowing the right people. I can totally relate. I just had my episode a couple weeks ago. And so that was something that, you know, I went to school until I found a career and most advisors told me not to do that, but that's what I did. Sometimes it works out when you make those decisions and go against the grain. Definitely. With what you learned as an administrative assistant, how did that influence you once you did become an analyst? Oh gosh, I learned so much. Just the most important thing was interacting with the executive, especially when I was working at the prosecutor's office. Um, I actually was the assistant to our first assistant prosecuting attorney. So I was having to keep him organized, keeping him on task. At times I even had to think for him. We, we would joke around <laughs> about that, but yeah, he, he he knows he was an absolute mess, but yeah, trying to keep him organized and on task helped me do those same things in, you know, my work. We talked a little bit about this yesterday in the prep call, but I, I find it fascinating because when the CALEA standard changed and for police departments and they required an analyst function to be certified, for police departments to be certified. One of the quickest ways to do that was, okay, we're going to take the admin assistant and we're going to make him or her the analyst. Like they're going to be, they're going to satisfy this requirement. So now you don't hear as much about that as being the case, but I guess would you, if someone's looking to get into the field and maybe doesn't have any experience with a police department, would you recommend that, hey, if there's an admin assistant role open, take that because that could get you to where you want to go? I would absolutely highly recommend that route. A lot of it is getting your foot in the door and getting recognized. And once you get your foot in the door, show your abilities and your work ethic, then it's going to open up opportunities for training that could then put you in an analytical position. And that's that's how I got to where I'm at. Had people believe in me more often, they believed in me more than I believed in myself. I didn't, you know, I don't have a college education. I was always a little embarrassed by that. And so it wasn't something that I was proud to, to speak about, but 
once I got into this field, there was just this burning passion that I had for it. And I think that's what motivated me to, to be the best that I could. And I can confidently say that I am proud to say that I got to the point where I'm at, you know, based off of my work ethic. I will admit, I think it's difficult to get into this field without that education. And it's also difficult to get into the field if you don't have the experience. So the biggest thing is get your foot in the door and show them what you're made of. Yeah. Do you still feel that inadequate feeling? of not having a college degree? So I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. For so long, I was like, you know what? I need to find the time to do the schooling. You know, I I, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually finally at a point in my life where I am comfortable and I'm confident in who I am. You know, we all have a story. I'm proud of... I've never been one to take the easy road. I, I kind of like to take detours and things like that. Um, I And I like a good challenge. I am so proud of where I've come. I didn't think that I would be here at this point in my in my life, but it's good to say that I've not just found a job, but I found a career that I am very passionate about. Yeah, because I think, man, it is, I, and I have no idea what it is like today. Do you know many analysts that don't have a degree? All the analysts that I work very closely with here in Tennessee, I am not aware of any that do not have some form of like formal education. I will say I have, you know, through my trainings, I have acquired my certification through um, the University of California, Sacramento. Um, The Alpha Group has a wonderful program where you can get your certification. And that was actually the route that I took. Yeah. I I was just going to say the only time I could even think of it coming up, if you're already an analyst, is certification, right? I know most of the places giving out certification, whether it's an association, a state, or, you know, like you mentioned the alpha group, usually have to score so many points experience wise and education wise before you can even qualify to get certified. That's correct. And so I I know with the IACA, you get a pretty good bump points wise for having a college degree. Once you're in the field, that's really probably the only time it ever comes up again. With this profession, how competitive it can be, anything that's not having that college degree really puts you behind it. I should say can, shouldn't say would can put you behind the eight ball. So, um, but you you mentioned getting your foot in the door and that's just like similar to an internship and, and whatnot. Once folks see your potential, see what you can do with them. Do you get along with people? What's your work ethic? Like what's your skill level? Like how do you present yourself? What's your reputation? Even if it is something for a short term, being spoken for in, in law enforcement can go a really long way. For sure. All right. So take me back then. You've been an admin assistant. As you mentioned there, you got the opportunity to be an analyst and we're still in Ohio, right? We're in Delaware County. That is correct. Yes. Okay. So just take us back first couple of weeks, you're walking in the door and you're an analyst. What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? What's, what's your goals at this time? Just take us back. So obviously my goal is to just impress. Like I will do whatever you want me to do. Mm-hmm. 
I initially, I was doing some pretty crappy work and the, the work that nobody wants to do, like this particular case that we were working, it was a large scale cultivation operation. So, so much evidence had been recovered from these homes and a lot of documents that we needed to photocopy. So here I was standing up in the corner of their office on this little junky, um, it was a printer copy fax machine. And I swear to God, it took a minute to copy one page. <laughs> and I would stand there for hours and hours and days on end until all of that evidence was photocopied. And you just, you have to understand, like, it's not the most glorious job at times. And there's going to be parts of the job that you are not going to want to do, but there's just, there's things that have to be done. And I think me showing my dedication at that point, they were like, oh, geez, like nobody else wants to do this. And, mm -hmm. you know, clearly this girl's getting stuff done. And then things just like, I kind of spiraled out of control, you know, when it came to, I, I want to know this, I want to do this. And I, at that time, I was literally a sponge and was so excited for them to, you know, I, I felt that they believed in me and like I was accepted. I was becoming one of them. And I didn't know anything at the time about narcotics. I knew a little bit about marijuana. I'd never seen any other drug. So like, I was so like fascinated with the actual environment. And I think that's what this really got me um, sparked. And, and like, it, it was just the fuel to, to just fuel my, the, to fuel my fire. I was super excited that you know, one thing led to another, you know, trainings they were putting me through and doing toll records and the analysis of those, looking over electrical records, analyzing those. It was just, I was really surprised that with like little to no training, I just had this desire and this like natural talent to analyze this stuff. Oddly enough, I didn't realize that I was doing all these like crazy steps to analysis until I was like going through the <laughs> alpha group training. I'm like, oh, that's what you call that? And I was <laughs> like, I was like, that's pretty crazy. Like, that's what I learned about the intelligence cycle. And I was yeah. like, oh, my bad. I had no idea. I've been <laughs> that's how you collate. You call, you yeah. call it collating. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so this is a task force now, and it's a, it's a LEAP drug task force. So what does LEAP stand for? So LEAP stands for Law Enforcement Against Pushers. And okay. it was a multi-jurisdictional drug task force. It was based in Delaware County, which is just north of the state capital of Columbus. And we had multiple agencies within the county that would give us men and, and women to be a part of our, our task force. Some of the larger agencies would you know, provide us with two or three individuals from their agencies. Others would provide just one. And then there were some that were uh, just a part-time or associate member. But we were such a great team. We were a very tight unit. And even when it wasn't like a drug task force, related case, our men and women would go out and, and help those member agencies with any investigations that they had going on. So it, it was probably one of my most favorite jobs I've ever had. Yeah. Do you feel that 
because it was a task force, because you have members from various agencies, that it was easier for you to come in. Maybe they were even more welcoming to to you because they're used to getting folks from various agencies to come in and, as you mentioned, sponge learning, showing them what you could do? It it is quite possible. I do know that when I was approached for that position, I was working at the prosecutor's office and there was another young lady who was being considered for that job. And she was already employed by the sheriff's office. They did a pretty extensive background check on me. Um, They came to my home, interviewed myself and my husband. They even went, drove like two two, two and a half hours up to my high school to interview like my, my principal, you know, teachers and stuff like that. And (laughs) actually we, we laugh about it because keep in mind, I worked for drug task force and several of these officers were in an undercover capacity and they don't always look very professional. So the one officer goes up there and he, he looks like somebody who just crawled out from underneath a rock (laughs) and somebody at the high school actually let him in the locked doors and the school actually had to go on lockdown because of him. And so, like <laughs> we, we would always laugh about that story. Like, man, you're not going to believe where Lindsay came from and you know, her high school, like they don't, they don't mess around. So that was always a running joke. That's, but, um, that's funny. Well, geez, yeah. to go back to the high school, I, I don't think I would have had a, a job if everybody went back and talked to my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, so this gets us to your one of your badge stories, and the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project, and you have multiple. And so this first one, it's 2006. This is a huge marijuana grow that you are working with the task force to tackle. That is correct. So this was my very first case, and it started out with when I was working at the prosecutor's office, they discovered these marijuana grows and how I got brought into the loop was they were proffering some of these individuals from the, uh, the investigation. And they asked me to actually sit in on these proffers, take notes. And I, I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> and when I got a taste of that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then that's what led me to being sent up to the drug task force office and um, copying documents for days on end. And that's what led to the actual award from narco recognizing us for the 2006 narcotics unit of the year which was which was pretty amazing and so just for those that may not know what that is what what is that award so this is for all agencies in the state of ohio and you know can be sent there are going to be like summary sent into narco and they will review all of these investigation summaries and things like that. And we were the one agency that was chosen for the efforts that we put into dismantling this large scale cultivation operation. It was massive. It spanned two counties and I believe there were eight houses. This was the very first like cultivation operation they got into where there were more than just one house. So it was pretty impressive to see them, how they got into the 
the homes and literally it was a a neighbor concerned about some of the traffic that was going in and out of the house. They just thought it was weird and it didn't seem like anybody lived there. And, you know, they, they peered through the window and there's like no furniture and they're like, you know, what's going on? So that's how they actually got into it. Oh, that's interesting. And so I narco narcotics association regional coordinating officers is what I guess law enforcement and their little cute names so I know right but so that's how they got in and how they started the investigation and so how did this end like how how big was this do you remember that maybe the number of arrests or seizures or anything just to put that into perspective Uh, let me think off the top of my head I believe there were seven individuals that were arrested and they actually had an electrician in the group who wired all the houses. Okay. And, you know, it may not have been seven. I think it was five. But they had very high-end vehicles. Mm-hmm. They were doing very well for themselves be- because of these operations. So normally, well, I shouldn't say normally. What I remember doing when there was a question of a indoor marijuana grow, what we would do is study the electric bill records yep and so this house right here how does it compare to other ones on the block or in the neighborhood is it significantly higher than everybody else and so for this they had five like five houses all wired together in order just bringing in uh juice to this marijuana grow so i wouldn't consider them wired together they had Mm -hmm. an electrician that was part of their group Mm-hmm. who would go around to the different houses and and wire them up. It it was pretty significant. They all had, you know, multiple rooms, you know, hundreds of plants. It was amazing to see this. Yeah. Now did did they buy the houses or were they running the house? They were they bought the homes. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So they bought the homes with the specific purpose to having them be marijuana growth. That That is correct. And we actually received one of the homes in uh, forfeiture. Oh, okay. Man, yeah, that's, that's quite an operation. Mm-hmm. So this gives you a little bit of taste for the the marijuana growth. So you have another story then that occurs in 2013. And you get a little bit more uh, in terms of analytical tasks that you have with this case, correct? Yes. So this one, I actually, I was going out and doing surveillance on my own. It was, it was another one of these large cultivation operations, you know, we're determining who all the players are and, you know, that also spanned a couple counties. So, you know, I'm going out, you know, going past homes, you know, trying to grab tags, you know, seeing who might be there tending. Now, the majority of these homes, they lived there. So it was it was a little different than what, you know, we had, we had seen previously. But yeah, I was at that point, I was uh, doing social media analysis. I was doing toll records. I was doing really anything and everything under the sun on this investigation. So it was funny. We used to always joke around with the the lead investigator that I actually knew more about his investigation than he did. We would always give him a hard time. How did the your telephone toll analysis impact the case? So that really showed us like who they were talking with, like who's in their circle. We had all these individuals, but we also had a business involved Mm -hmm. and that kind of threw a wrench in things too, where it's like, oh my gosh, this is bigger than what we really thought it was. 
And what led us to this group was another individual. It was a search warrant we had conducted. And, you know, this guy, you know, gave one individual up. And at the time he had no idea how large their operation was. So it was, it was pretty interesting to see how we actually got into this group. I got you. And then again, do you remember how how many arrests or how many seizures there were in, in this case? So there are multiple seizures of vehicles. That, with this one, we did not seize any homes, but we put a, a pretty good hamper on, on this group when it comes to you know th- them doing some hard time, losing lots of electronics, and, you know, like I said, their, their vehicles, they did, their business took a little bit of a hit, but it ended up recovering because the, the main guy on the business, he didn't have a grow at his home, but he was definitely affiliated with okay. the rest of the group and knew what was going on. Yeah. So what's the, what, you don't have to name the name of the business. What kind of business was it? It was actually a restaurant. Oh, Okay. I I take it you guys couldn't prove that they were laundering money or anything through the restaurant or you would have been able to take the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. The, the one guy, he owned it. Now they all work there, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't, we didn't have enough evidence to, to tie that they were laundering. Yeah. I got you. That's interesting. Okay. You are going to be the host of a new video tutorial segment for LEA Podcasts called Small Steps. Just give the audience a little snippet on what they can expect from these videos. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is is there's a lot of things and and without having to sit through an hour-long thing that, you know, get through multiple things at once, just a short videos. And kind of the way I I like to see is, hey, like when you're searching for something yourself on YouTube, this or that, what what do you... you get something specific, you get a small piece and it's, it's a lot easier to digest. So I think the idea behind this is, is really sometimes it might be a a couple episodes in a row tackling the same type of thing, but it's just a quick, Hey, check it out. Here's a quick tip. Here's how you do it. And for this specifically, it's typically using some law enforcement type data, some data that'll be similar to what you would use and, and how you could use it. So like examples, just, you know, text a column or certain formulas, concatenate, VLOOKUP, XLOOKUP. Some of these, you know, some of these, you, you just, like I say, you might not. I'm still, I don't by any means consider myself an expert. Anything to make it easier, I kind of learn at the same time. And I love sharing with other analysts, not an hour-long class. You don't have to sign up for it. It's not costing you $10 for yeah. stuff you might or might not know. It's just a quick videos, quick tips. Yeah. So, so this uh, video series, it's going to begin Tuesday, April 5th. We'll release every Tuesday. The first one is a series on text to columns. Is that correct? That's correct. If you have suggestions for what you would want videos shown of, uh, whether it's in Excel or Access or SQL or whatever program it may be, send us an email, leapodcasts with an S at gmail.com or give us a, a comment in one of our social media postings. Hey there, this is Jessica Ellsmore, and this is your friendly daily reminder to remember why you started. Keep your passion, stay involved, and just remember what got you interested in crime analysis. So then you leave Delaware County here and head to Tennessee. So I guess get into that decision. What all went into making that leap from 
Ohio to Tennessee. So my husband and I, we used to always vacation in Tennessee. And we, we always thought that we would actually retire in Tennessee. And then the opportunity presented itself that my husband's work had the opportunity for a transfer. And we discussed it, you know, as a family, we decided, you know what, this is going to be a good move for us. So we jumped at the opportunity and, uh, you know, made our way down to the Nashville area. I accepted a position with the highway patrol. That's where I've, I've been since uh, 2013. You know, it, it was a great decision to come here. We are extremely happy, um, very happy with our careers. I'm eating up everything that, you know, I'm doing here in Tennessee work-wise. It, it's, it's wonderful. I, yeah. I couldn't be happier. And I was actually, I'm the only crime analyst for the highway patrol. And I was the very first one that they brought on. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. However, you know, I've, I've been in the position before where, oh, you're the first one, you know, so I kind of, I'm given the opportunity to create my own pack. And it's, it, it is so cool to, to be able to, to have that opportunity. Yeah. So I, my first thought, it doesn't have anything to do with law enforcement. It's just like, oh, I hope you bought a house in 2013 when you got down there. Oh Cause, my goodness. Because housing prices in Nashville right now are ridiculous. Jason, you have no idea. Thankfully, <laughs> we did. Um, we actually built our home. And uh, I, and I'm glad we did at that time because it, its value is much more than what we paid. So I'm, I'm very thankful that we did what we did. Yeah. So are you with working with the TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations? So I, I do work closely with them. And it was it's actually I'm a liaison to the Tennessee Fusion Center. Mm-hmm. When I very, very first came on, I actually had an office over in the TBI building up in their uh, Tennessee Fusion Center. So I worked very closely with our uh, TBI and Homeland Security analysts up Fusion Center. My office, I have since moved back to headquarters at THP and, uh, you know, and obviously COVID's kind of, you know, thrown a little wrench in things too, where, you know, I, I don't get to that office very often, but uh, I interact with those guys on a weekly basis. Okay, good. And then, so you, so you mentioned you were able to come in and make this position your own and you've been there a little over eight years now. So what have you been able to accomplish for this position? I guess the biggest thing I can say that I've accomplished is the awareness to investigators, what an analyst can do for their case. It's, it's weekly that I'm getting phone calls. Hey, do your work, your magic. And I'm like, I need a little bit more information than that. You know, tell me exactly what you're looking for. You know, I've, I've kind of made a name for being able to, I mean, I, I can dig and dig and dig and I'm always coming back with so much information for these investigators. They had no idea about, they think that I'm a magician and I can find <laughs> anyone. And uh, it's, it's kind of the running joke. Oh, you, you can't find them. You need to contact Witter. She'll find them for you. But there's so much I've been able to accomplish, but I will say one thing I have not been able to accomplish that is like my biggest goal is being able to create an intel unit. It is so difficult, especially in a time where you know, we're losing officers on the road. And, you know, that's that's always our command's biggest thing is, is to bring in more officers, bring in more officers. So it's just difficult. It's been very hard for me to get their ear and tell them why they need an intel unit. 
So that that's the only thing that I could say that that has been frustrating that I've not been able to accomplish. Yeah, so that does spike my curiosity. So you're in Tennessee Highway Patrol. What would you envision? Should you get, be given the green light? What would you envision that intel unit to look like? Oh my goodness, Jason! I would be so excited. I, <laughs> I'll start small. I, I'm I'm good with that. If I could just put one analyst in each of our eight districts and have one in our administrative districts. So I'd have a total of nine analysts just so each one of those districts could have a little bit of a taste of what these analysts can do. I did have an analyst assigned to me through the National Guard several years ago, and she was my right-hand man. She assisted me with doing some like intelligence-led policing where she was reviewing over a bunch of data on where we could have these uh, saturations on our interstates. And some of these captains were absolutely amazed with the information we were giving them and like where good places were for our troops to, to set up to conduct these traffic stops. But unfortunately, with everybody dealing with staffing shortages, we just we've not been able to, to make that happen. But that is definitely what I would love to do. Yeah. So, so we have a similar path in that we both spent time in Ohio and Tennessee. I'm curious if you experienced the same thing that I experienced. So in Ohio, they have pretty open sunshine laws. Citizens can have access to a lot of government data. In Tennessee, one of the biggest things that I notice, law enforcement, they really don't have to give out too much information about cases that are ongoing. I found that to be just a vast contrast to what we had to deal with when I was at Cincinnati Police Department. Do you feel the same way or just the differences in terms of information from one state to the other? I will admit, like, I didn't have too many public records requests that would come in when I was in Ohio. We get them so much in Tennessee. So I think my experience might actually be the opposite, where I feel like I'm constantly like, digging for stuff that, you know, that I may have done on an investigation that I need to, to pass off. So I guess I'm not familiar with the differences uh, from Ohio to Tennessee. All right. And then I just want to finish up. You, you had one more story that you wanted to talk about. It's a very recent story that you've worked on here, and that's dealing with uh, locating a pedophile. Oh, yes. So I somehow got contacted by an individual from uh, another state said, hey, you know, somebody gave me your name and, you know, I'm kind of interested to see what you might be able to help me with. This guy was in our state and is committed this sex act against a child. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, hell no. Like, (laughs) I am happy to help. So he sends me the information and this individual definitely has ties to Tennessee. And we have been working for over a year on this investigation. And like the guy went missing. Um, they thought maybe he was dead. I mean, it, it has been crazy. The curveballs that have been thrown at us through the, throughout this investigation. But it was, it was so nice to be a part of something that I, you know, I'm a mother, 
I'm a grandmother. I just could not imagine being affected by something like that. And I give the most props for those investigators and individuals who work those kind of cases. I don't know how you do it day in and day out. I think it takes a very strong person to be able to do those. It would be difficult for me. But I was so happy to assist in finding this guy and uh, making sure that there's not a another child that's going to be, you know, traumatized by this, this particular man. So, I mean, it's always great to get awards for the cases you've worked and these investigations that you've been a part of, but this particular case has been like self-rewarding for me. It's the satisfaction I've gotten is, is so great. And I, I am so happy that I, that I could assist in this investigation. Yeah. What were some of the things you were able to do for the investigation? Uh, if you have a footprint online any anyway, I am going to track you down. I just, you can't leave a stone unturned. You know, I was able to provide them uh, with some social media stuff. They went up on some uh, phone pings, things like that. They did GPS, provided them with information on the vehicles. They didn't have any of that information. It is just like never ending the, the things that, that I was able to find for them. And was this a serial situation? No, it wasn't a serial offender. It was actually a family member. Oh. And, that, and I think sometimes that, that makes it even worse because there's people that you feel that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And then when they betray that, there's only one place for them at that point. Yeah. So, so, so it sounds like he was on the run there for a while because he said he, he thought he went missing or he would just definitely trying to dodge law enforcement there for a while. It was definitely the case. He'd been interviewed and obviously that interview spooked him. He walked out on investigators during the interview and drove a little ways away. And that's where his vehicle was discovered. Uh, keys in the vehicle, but he was no, nowhere to be found. So, I mean, it's like he tried to, you know, fake his own death, you know, ultimately is what is what he did. Purposely, we're not going to go into too much detail because it is an active case. It just recently... Correct had an arrest i'll be curious to hear how this this gets prosecuted so i'll look for a getting a follow-up from you most definitely couple of years all right so we're going to switch gears now i i do want to talk about talia uh, and your role with them as i mentioned in your intro you have you are the vp of membership there and you have a conference coming up here in august that we also want to talk about. So just uh, talk about your role with Talia and how you got started and we'll go from there. So Talia has actually been around since 2014. Um, That was when they did their very first conference actually in Knoxville. Although I was here in Tennessee, I was not aware of that conference at the time. So I didn't actually, you know, come into Talia until 2015. It would, would have been their second conference in Oak Ridge. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. At the time, it was it was very small, but I was really impressed with the presenters that they had. I was learning so much, and the network. I was like, oh wow, like you know, I'm getting to meet all these other analysts from across the state. Well, they've not. I mean, it has since expanded to something you know much larger. They've been around since 2014. They hold an annual conference every year. I want to say it was probably 2017. I was asked to, you know, consider to 
you'd be a little bit more involved with Talia. And I was like, kind of pushed him off. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm too busy. And I really, I wanted to focus my efforts on, on my work. And I was like, I just don't know that I can really dedicate the time that I need to, to you. So a couple of years later, they finally talked me into becoming just a uh, council rep. And that individual doesn't have to be really involved with the board, but what your, what your role is at that point is just try to reach out to um, people who are not members, you know, bring in additional people in. So I was their middle Tennessee rep, you know, and I, I had a lot of analysts that I worked with at TBI and the Fusion Center. So I was trying to, you know, reach those guys to, to become members of Talia. So, you know, once I got a, a taste of that, I was like, I think I want to be a little bit more involved. So then I become the secretary. And then that led to me then becoming the VP of membership. And I am so passionate about this association. They started very, very small. Their focus is to provide like high quality, low cost analytical and investigative training. And this particular, these conferences are not just for analysts. It is geared for all like law enforcement personnel. We have people that are coming from like federal, local, county, state, correctional, and even military organizations to these conferences. It benefits everyone. We've got members from 20 states and even Canada. And, you know, we have some awesome speakers that, you know, come out. Many people are familiar with uh, Dr. Jerry Ratcliffe. He's a a common person that that you're going to see at our conferences. He is wonderful. Uh, You're probably very familiar with with, uh, Dr. Ratcliffe. But uh, he's got quite a colorful vocabulary. That's what first comes comes to mind. That is very true. And you know what? I love the, the the British accent. I could just sit there and listen to him talk for days. He's quite comical. He, yes. he will get you laughing. That's for sure. Our conference are even t- post-certified. So, you know, that's a, a, a great thing to have, you know, with, with these training conferences. One thing that we really pride ourselves on is we do a networking night out. A lot of times it's like on, you know, the, the first night of the conference, we get you know, we invite everybody to come. It's not, it's not a mandatory thing. But one thing I have learned over the years is the power of networking. Oh my goodness. I wish I would have uh, recognized this much sooner. I'm, I'm sure other analysts are a little like me when it comes to, I am so introverted. I, <laughs> it, it takes a lot for me to get out of my comfort zone. And I didn't realize what a disservice I was doing to myself when I could reach out to somebody in another state or another county or city to to see, you know, hey, do you have any information on this individual? Networking is so huge. I have, I, I cannot stress enough with individuals when you're going to these conferences, try to get out of that comfort zone and, and network these individuals. So come to our conference, you know, do the networking night out. We, we do some really fun events. Last year, we were in Gatlinburg and we, our networking night out was at Anakista. So, you know, we fed them dinner. They were able to, you know, walk throughout the, the park. I actually rolled the mountain roller coaster with, you know, some, <laughs> some other, you know, attendees. It was so much fun. So I uh, highly recommend this conference. This is something that I've been a part of since 2015. I will not miss a year 
of, of these conferences. Um, they have great speakers, you know, you're gonna, they're gonna be hitting on like intelligence analysis, intelligence-led policing, you know, social media, and you know how much social media changes, you know, from day to day. So it's great to stay up on, you know, those so social media tools. We got case studies, investigation tools, gang training. So last year we actually partnered with the Tennessee Department of Corrections and that proved to be really, really fruitful for us. Brought in a lot of uh, gang training instructors, teaching about you know what they're seeing in the prisons, even at, you know outside of the prisons. You know, extremists, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, it was it was quite interesting. Um, we even had Scott Payne coming in talking about his role when he was in a, you know doing undercover stuff with the FBI. He is an individual that you don't want to miss. He has got stories for days. He is an interesting man. So uh, he, we're bringing him back this year. We're super excited about that. We'll have some crime mapping, you know, forensics, you know, some human trafficking, um, and even like Excel and SQL. So this is a very well-rounded training conference. It's going to be a four-day thing. You know, it's going to be, you know, full days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I'm super excited to announce that our training this year is going to be held in Nashville. And it's going to be held at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. You will not find a more <laughs> beautiful and breathtaking venue for sure. So we, we would love to have y'all, you know, come out. Um, you can stay, stay connected with us on announcements in reference to the conference on our website at uh, like talianet.org, all the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. So uh, you can definitely follow us and, and, you know, stay up to date with, with what we got going on. Yeah. And we'll put links in the show notes for more information for those that are interested. So in terms of the association's conference being well-rounded, was that always the case or was there a challenge, a, a process to wanting the conference to be more than just analysis? You know what? I wish I could answer that, that our president would be the best one suited for that. He's been around since the mm -hmm. inception of the association. I do know that it has grown tremendously since I started coming to these conferences. It's crazy because we used to start out, it was literally one room and, you know, we were, we'd all sit in there and a lot of times these rooms were not packed and it's crazy to see that we need venues to accommodate us. That's so large, like the Gaylord Opryland. It's wonderful to see that they've grown so much. Um, and our president, he has got so much heart in this association. He is truly the one who's built it from the ground up. Yeah. And the president is? Uh, President's David Gordon. He yeah. is currently with the Tennessee Department of Correction. So how many folks are you expecting at this year's conference? We anticipate we could have upwards of 300 people. Um, Nashville's going to be a big draw. I mean, sure. everybody enjoys coming to Nashville. And once they get a taste of where this event's going to be located, Opryland is just breathtaking. Um, you're never going to find anything better. And what's even more spectacular is we are able to offer the hotel rooms at government per diem. So definitely go online, check out the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville and know that you're, you're going to be able to come and enjoy all this, you know, with the government per diem rate. Yeah. How many, how many members does 
Talia's currently have? So we have about 160 members. Okay. Um, and like I said, they, they span, you know, over 20 states and, yeah. and even Canada. Oh, that's interesting. So you're expecting twice as many people at the conference as you do members to the association. So that's, yeah, that's really we, good. We definitely do. So, so then what's the cost to be a member of Talia? So annual membership is $25 a year. However, if you attend our Talia conference, it's going to be held this year in Nashville, your membership will be waived and then it'll be good for the following year. And then once, when you attend the conference, you can also receive discounted rates. For instance, this year for Talia members, the registration is $345. For non-members, it's $395. And then after July 15th, it's going to bump up to $445 for all. But you can pay the $25 annual membership, get a little bit of a, a reduction on your registration. And then you get perks of our member directory on our website and then you'll be the first to know of, of anything that's going on within the, the association all right well very good so let's move on we got our call-in segment don't be that analyst now so this tends to be folks favorite segment of ours so it's a call-in segment where people call in and uh, say what analysts really should not be doing that they've seen them do but they really shouldn't be doing so first on the line is shauna shauna what is your don't be that analyst don't be that analyst who sends out a bulletin without being able to answer the so what if you don't know why you're sending it don't send it if you know why you're sending it hit away you won't be on anybody's delete list Hmm. You know, when I hear that, it it makes me pause a little bit. I I certainly understand Shauna's point, but I also feel that it's also sometimes not necessarily the analyst's choice, right? I mean, if this is somewhere in a scenario where the analyst did this on their own, built this bulletin on their own, wasn't an assigned project, and then they can't answer the so what, of their bulletin certainly understand what she's talking about but sometimes this thing's like you just get a sign hey get out of the bulletin and it's not necessarily your choice it's your supervisor's choice so no i absolutely agree with that i too get very annoyed it's almost like you don't know what you're doing let's hear a little bit more so yeah and and she was the so what analyst which is funny that she uh put in that bit it's interesting because there is so much email now, there's so much content that people consume. It's really difficult if you can't answer the so what. It's like, if you can't answer the so what, why should they take the time to read what you wrote? For I sure. think that's the, that's the point there. Second caller, next on the line is Adrian. Adrian, what's your don't be that analyst? Don't be that analyst that doesn't give our sworn counterparts their due credit. We can't do it without them and they can't do it without us. We work as a team. What's your first reaction to that? I could not agree more with Adrian. Girl, there is nothing more frustrating. Let's be honest. It's a team effort. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We need to give credit where credit is due. So I'm I, I'm with you, girl. I think it's just too bad that there is the culture in there, the feeling that you have, that it's not just one team, right? 
And then, and I, again, mm-hmm. I talked about this a little bit in my episode from a couple of weeks ago is like where I'm at now, there's not this feeling of, oh, it's like sworn versus civilian. There's, it's just, it's the, <laughs> that idea is really not even there. So it's refreshing that I'm part of a team where you're standing shoulder to shoulder and there's not this, any, any kind of question about class-based or who's getting what or you know just just not two types of people like some folks can feel in police departments but mm-hmm. certainly it's a it's a two-way street you know we talk about buy-in a lot on this show and it, it is a good point that it is a two-way street so analysts got to treat fellow officers like they want to be treated as well i agree with that all right next on the line is barry barry what's your don't be that analyst don't be that analyst who bogarts your good work like it says in the movie it's that thing you do somewhere along the line you've solved a problem you figured out how to use a tool in excel You've come up with a working uh, process for getting something done that cracked a problem that you had, and now you feel like, well, so what? Share it. Present it IACA, post it to the forums. If nothing else, have a briefing within your department. Don't hide that thing you do. That gets into the the aspect of siloed data. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating to me that there are analysts out there who will develop a product, do great analytical work, but then not present at conferences or not present in a regional association like you're part of. They will just keep it all within house and maybe have that great product once they leave the department. So it is it's a little concerning that that folks do do that. Sometimes it's a confidence thing that like, oh, I didn't really think that it, this was that big a deal. But other times they just like don't really have that interest to pay it forward. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I have been in situations like in command post, you know, supporting an event with, you know, multiple analysts from state, local, and even federal, some won't share information. I'm like, we are here supporting the same event. Why are we not communicating? You know, I'm, I'm an open book. I'm going to give you everything <laughs> I have. And it's like, oh, well, they're going to take all that and they'll pass that information on, but information they have, they won't share. And that is extremely frustrating. Yeah. There is a lot that people do pass on. As law enforcement analysts, I think the profession networks over departments better than a lot of other entities in the police department Mm -hmm. and that we are reaching out to one another and trying to figure different stuff out. And we will go outside the department to try to solve different issues that we're having. So it's not all doom and gloom, but you definitely... Like Barry is saying, don't be that analyst that just silos your idea. All right. Next on the line is Dawn. Dawn, what's your don't be that analyst? Don't be that analyst who stays buried in your office paperwork. (laughs) Make building relationships a priority. It will create the buy-in that you need and really will help you serve at your best. Dawn, you are so correct. That's where I think it's, you know, I'm a big advocate for networking. And Don, I also used to be that person that would sit in my office and would not talk with anybody unless they came to talk to me. You have to get out there and see what's going on. Talk with your Pete. You don't know what information you could be providing them and, and vice versa. So yeah, you got to be social. 
Do you have advice for folks that are introverted, maybe a little bit shy, about ready to take that step of getting out there? Do you have any advice for them? Oh my goodness. It's not easy, but you have to challenge yourself, accept that challenge. Know that there are things that you have overcome in the past and that you can overcome this. You know, baby steps, just set goals for yourself. You you can do it. Right. Very good. And finally, Freddie, what's your don't be that analyst? Yeah. You know, Jason, don't be that analyst that keeps doing the same reports time and time again, just because it's the way you've always done it. Figure out what it is people need and get the reports that people need, not the ones you've just been doing. My first reaction is this is this kind of goes back to my first thought, back to Shauna's call, in that it may not be up to you. I, I remember when I was at Cincinnati Police Department, we had this monthly report that, oh, I, I just loathed having to do it because it wasn't something that I could automate. It, it had data sources where that came from all different parts of the police department, and we did not have a records management system at the time or a data warehouse. So some of this stuff was emailed. Some of this stuff was, they called us up on the phone and I never was able to fully automate it. We got a big portion of it automated as we worked on it throughout the years. But I requested time and time again, is this something that we really need? Each time was, was told that, yeah, that's what they expect. That's what they want. So it is difficult sometimes to get out from under a report or a project or a task that has been around for a while. That's just it. So many people just get used to doing either that report or receiving that. They don't see that there's a better way. So I think a lot of times we we need to take a step back, review our processes, even make your reports just a little different. And I will admit I've been guilty. I do monthly reports. I I should probably change them up a little bit, make the appearance a little different. So your recipients know, Hey, this looks different. Let's hope that they're reading these reports that are being sent. Very good. Well, that's don't be that analyst. If you are interested in being a caller on don't be that analyst, send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Or if you're interested in being on a guest on this show, email us as well. All right, Lindsay, our last segment to the show is Words to the World. And this is where I give the guest the last word. You can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? I think my biggest thing I would say is just stay focused. You can do it. Know what you're, what you're wanting to accomplish. Keep digging. The info's out there. You know, stay focused. Know that you are your best advocate. You, you just, you got to get out there and whatever you do, network. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. You've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much and you be safe. Thank you so much for having me. You as well. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.